welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Tuesday Not So Deep Dive episode on Chit Chat Money. This is the show where we go over the basics of a stock in about 45 minutes. Hopefully by the end of this episode, you won't be an expert on a company, but you'll get up to speed and kind of decide whether this is something you want to research further. That's the goal of this show. And today we're talking DocuSign, a well-known company. I think everyone knows about this company now, right? Uh, are you guys nodding in agreement with me? Yes, maybe, maybe not. Um, but Most they say know. they have a billion users, uh, <laughs> which is a funny way to describe a user, but it is a DocuSign, um, the e-signature company and the cloud agreement company. And I'll let Ryan get into more of that. But Ian, uh, have you looked at this company before? I know Ryan was kind of, this was on his watch list a few years ago, something like that. But Ian, have, has this been on your watch list or in your holdings at all? Yep. So it, it actually is a current holding of mine. Um, it's a fairly small position. I started started it a couple, a few years ago. I, I want to say in 2018, maybe. So, um, but I think I think today I'd have to look for the exact number, but I think it's somewhere around a 1% position. All right. Well, congrats. It's been a huge pandemic winner. So that, that has probably put up some great returns for you. Ryan, have uh, any, have you learned, like you knew about this company in like 2019 or so you were following it, if I remember correctly. Uh, pr- I probably was. I kind of don't remember. This is my first time really looking at it in a while. I've uh, it's pretty talked about in the investor community, I guess. So that's true. Full favorite, pretty popular among a lot of retail investors. And I'll let you introduce what the company is, but first we have to talk about our sponsor, Common Stock. Today's episode is brought to you by Common Stock, a social network for smart money investors. If you want to check them out, go to commonstock.com today to join. I'm actually have it open right now. I'm going to just kind of go through and see what I got looking on here. You have trending tickers. You have um, someone named, I, I, I know this person on, I've seen him on Twitter, Nathan Warden with uh, 310 million in follower assets. And now that's an important thing about Common Stock is they connect your brokerage account. So whoever's following you, you know how much money is following your account. So this is a, and it's not, it's not peanuts on there. He had a question about Spotify. They're doing a video on it and they have a lot of questions on it and you can, comment and communicate with people about these things and people will write reports on stuff or maybe link to other reports they're doing and you can discuss on all these things. And it's not a lot of the fluff like you might see on Twitter. It's actually in-depth discussion. You're not limited to the 280 characters and you know how on Twitter, it's hard to have a really good discussion. This is where you want to do it. And you know that people have skin in the game because their brokerages are connected. Very interesting platform. We're going to hop on there soon and probably do some posts as well. It's a pretty interesting platform. Ian's um, a user, correct? Ian is a user. Ian's posted before, so check him out on there. Uh, it's a great way to put, if you're looking for a place to read long-form research and either post your long-form research, this is a great community to have that because you know the people on there are going to be interested in investing and all that stuff. So if you want to check out Common Stock, again, go to commonstock.com. Ryan, do you want to introduce DocuSign? Yeah. DocuSign is a software as a service business that offers a few different solutions um, that's really, they span across sort of what they call, they call it their 
the agreement cloud, I think is the term they use, but it's really the agreement process from setting up documents to analyzing the documents and the important parts of it, like maybe certain legal um, tidbits in it, and then signing it digitally, which is really what their main service is. That's the e-signature solution. Um, and you can, you can sign an agreement on pretty much any device, anywhere. It's very easy. Um, and that's typically the first product that customers are looking to get. So from there, they try to cross sell a lot of their different solutions. And so some of the other things within their agreement cloud solutions are the contract contract lifecycle management. So this is applications like Insight, which uh, it, it's AI is the term they use. AI that basically picks out the important parts of a document. There's also analyze. So it can kind of, if there's a lot of legal speak, it can help you understand what you're signing. Um, there's also identify, which is, uh, I might be, blunt, I might be getting this not exactly right, but it allows uh, identity verification um, for some of these things using like government ID scanning. And I believe there's payments. So after you've signed a document, if you want to just pay for something right through DocuSign, you can. There's e-notary. So you can notarize things digitally or um, just remotely, which for those of you that have had anything notarized, that's that's already, I'm going to say it right now. It's my future growth opportunity because notaries suck. It's all, it's like e-signature. It's pretty easy to see how this could go like into the digital realm and save people a lot of time. Yeah. And then there's also a few vertical specific solutions. So they target like certain industries um, and have different, like, uh, I guess, products that are set up specifically for them. And then DocuSign targets businesses of all sizes. So today they have 1.11 million total customers and 160,000 of those are enterprise level businesses. Um, DocuSign's go-to-market model consists of direct sales teams all over the globe. So they set up like real sales centers um, and you can see that they actually have a fair amount of capital expenditures um, or purchases of property and equipment. I think that's probably the office build outs. Um, and then they also have uh, partner assisted sales. So this is like uh, companies that use Google, Microsoft, Salesforce, they have basically inroads with them where they can easily just adopt uh, DocuSign through those platforms. Uh, and then there's web-based sales. This is basically if a user just needed to send over a document, wanted to try something out, they could just look up uh, e-signature provider and uh, they'd find DocuSign. They'd also find a few others, but uh, DocuSign would be on there. Um, another interesting note that I saw is 70% of their employees are in sales, marketing, and customer success. Uh, so those departments, I guess. So it's very much a sales organization. The primary tool is the e-signature uh, function, but they are cross-selling some of these other solutions and they have a really high uh, I guess on in terms of pricing, I tried to look it up. It's not a per user model. So it's really capacity based. So you get like a certain amount, you buy a certain amount of signatures, you prepay for them. They might call them envelopes too. Like they call them <laughs> digital is, yeah. envelopes. Yeah. Um, and so you prepay for those. And once you exhaust them, I imagine you have to buy a new bunch of them. Um, and so that's basically the model. And so you can imagine during COVID, there was a lot of expansion within that where a lot of people paid up for more envelopes. And then if you you also just get a new subscription price, if you use a bunch of the different features as well. Um, and then history about the business, I, I thought this was absolutely hilarious. So DocuSign's history page, I'm going to pull it up because it's absolutely criminal. It's 
DocuSign history. <laughs> it, it's all right. I'm pulling it up too. That sounds. Let's let's check it out. DocuSign history. Let's Wikipedia. The, oh, the history okay. of innovation, huh? There we go. So it starts with Eli Whitney and the Machine Age in 1798. Correct. The birth of the London Underground in 1854. The Transatlantic Telegraph, 1856. Ford in the mass automobile market, 1913. 1991 creation of HTML. There wasn't then anything. 2003 DocuSign <laughs> founded. As if. I'm sorry. That's what there yeah. is. You weren't even the original e-signature provider. There are other companies that had this. Oh yeah, that's what I look at: telegraph, automobiles, internet, digital signatures. That's my four big innovations of the last 200 years, right? <laughs> I thought I thought that was a little ridiculous, uh, but I guess more more on the history. DocuSign was actually started in 2003 by a Seattle native named Tom Gonzer. He had uh, another company prior that he had been the CEO for. Um, and this is actually three years after the US legalized digital signature. So I believe it was legalized in 2000. Um, and he started it by acquiring a company called DocuTouch, which had some patents and solutions around digital signatures. Uh, and then they made their first sale in 2005. The history in general is pretty uneventful. It, it's kind of like the average software business. They constantly innovated, add a few, added a few new products, either through development or acquisitions. And then they just kind of evolved their sales teams over and over, and they just grew constantly. Um, I guess other notes, they made three recent acquisitions, um, all about $200 million or less. One of them was actually much smaller. I think it was $38 million. Um, and they all provide basically tangential products. So it's um, a lot of the products they offer today in their bundles come through these acquisitions. That's kind of how they got bolted on. Um, and so I think that is a strategy that you could probably expect to see in the future with DocuSign. Uh, other notable things that I guess they came to the public markets in 2018. That's when they made their debut. They've had a few different CEOs throughout their history, but Ian will touch on that. Uh, that's pretty much it. Brett, you want to hit industry landscape? Yeah, I should note that management did say that they are going to pursue M&A. I think they mentioned it in one of their recent investment conferences in, in the transcript. So that it, that is correct uh, in your assumptions there, Ryan. All the industry, pretty easily, easy, e-signature market. It's only about $2 billion to $3 billion in spend right now, but it is expected to grow to 20% CAGR to $6.9 billion in 2025. Many competitors out there, um, especially just for the core e-signature product. And that's because that core product is not too hard to replicate. If you wanted a really bare bones one, I think someone, you know, 10 developers or even one really good one could probably do it over, over you know, a short time. But we'll talk about how, whether it's really about the core e-signature or it's about the ease of use, the ancillary products, all that stuff. But their most important competitors are Adobe with Adobe Sign. Box, who just started it, who's not really a big competitor, but another big one is HelloSign, which is in Dropbox or a part of Dropbox. So those are the big competitors because they're really competing with the other uh, companies that have these bundles that they can sell to people. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that in the second half, but that is why DocuSign wants to build their bundle to make it just as compelling on these other ones. Management did say though, that their TAM is $50 billion. Uh, that's a little bit higher than what I'm seeing out there, but maybe they're just including all their ancillary products that they're going to market right now. I hate TAM talk. TAM talk. Yeah. They talk about $50 billion TAM. <clears throat> we just recorded Axon Enterprise uh, with Brad that came out before this and they were the most TAM happy company I think I've ever seen. Yeah. It's like the, they talk year over year TAM growth. 
<laughs> and then their revenue growth is like flat. And it's like, who gives, who cares about your TAM? I know. I, I, now, we'll focus on what the someone else's TAM too. Yeah. Uh, either way though, eat a signature market and this agreement market, which is um, kind of a broader overview uh, with e-signature being their core product. It is a fairly large market that is growing really, really quickly. Um, I think that's the core thing to take away from this industry and competition yeah. talk. Management and ownership though, Ian, you want to talk about their executive team? Yep. So Dan Springer is the CEO of DocuSign and he became the CEO in January of 2017. Previously, he was the CEO and chairman of a company called Responsis, which was sold to Oracle for $1.6 billion in 2013. So he's he's kind of been a little bit of a software um, executive for for a few for a for a good portion of his career now. Um he actually started as a consultant at McKinsey. And after that, has worked in many software as a services companies. And like I said, most notably for Responsis, um, which was sold for $1.6 billion in, in 2013 to Oracle. He's also on the board of um, a company that you see on Fintuit sometimes called UiPath, um, which was kind of inter- interesting to me that he was on kind of another fairly large publicly traded company, uh, company's board. Um, Kind of looking into the proxy a little bit, there's some hefty stock awards for the entire management team that are based on performance. But most of the performance metrics, there was a fairly low bar to actually get the bonuses. And so that's always something that makes me laugh a little bit when looking through a proxy statement when they're like, oh, yeah, 90% of our you know, uh, compensation, 90% of our executives' compensation comes from performance bonuses. But then the performance bonuses, um, like the target is basically flat revenue growth or something like that right like that that just it's just nothing patting, patting themselves on the back for, right patting themselves on the back for you know a quote-unquote performance bonus but they w- would have really had to mess things up not to get it um so last year in fiscal year 2021 springer earned nearly 19 million dollars in stock awards and despite being a hired CEO, he has nearly a 1% ownership stake. And that that's even after selling quite a few shares in 2020. Um, in addition to Springer, there's a couple other big shareholders, but the biggest shareholder is Vanguard with over 7% of shares outstanding. But even Vanguard ended up selling um, nearly 17% of its stake in the last filing period. So um, a little bit of a reduction in its stake. ARC is also a shareholder. I think ARC owns about one and a half percent of the company. And so it's kind of an interesting mix, actually, that it has some of the some things like Vanguard and you'll see on its um, kind of in its public holders that there's there's quite a few. There's a mix of things that are more focused on kind of growthier things. And there's also some some uh, companies that are focused on probably not not quite value, but there's um, kind of some more growth at a reasonable price type type investors in DocuSign. So um yeah, that's management and ownership. Now, Vanguard, it could have been just a passive rebouncing with the stock down, or is that was that a different filing period? Could that have been a bit? It could have been. Yeah, it could have been a rebalancing with yeah, the stock being down. All right. What are we? What are our thoughts on what's his name here? Springer buying uh, the dip, quote unquote, in the open market right after the stock tanked. I know Ian, you probably follow more closely than us. What, what were your personal thoughts on that and it, it, kind of his communication around it? So I think it's generally you know, a, a positive sign when <laughs> obviously when um, a management team is is buying um, a stock and it's, and it's a bull- bullish signal. But I would also say that, like I said, he, he had $19 million in stock awards in fiscal year 2021, that sometimes I think those stock buys can be overblown, that it's, it's like a, everybody knows that it's a good press release item now too. And so um, 
Yeah. I don't know. I, I take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. I'm not just, I don't just pour into a stock because an executive has, has bought into it. True. That yeah. Actually, it doesn't, it doesn't change the business. That upsets me sometimes when you report like, like a truly bad quarter and then the, uh, then you buy it almost to like, it almost feels like you're just doing it for optics. Like, everyone sees that I'm confident. So they'll buy, even though I was just granted a bunch of stock last year and sold it prior to this, like, yeah, but his, on a, on a, an investment conference I was reading, he seemed a lot, it's hard to tell because we don't talk to him, but it seems like he was a lot more rational about it. They asked about it and he said, well, I thought it was cheap. And if it goes lower, I'll probably buy more. I tend to not look at the stock price. I try to only look at it once a week on Friday. Um, but now I'm looking at it a little more frequently because I might buy it. But he said, it sounds like he's a business focused guy, which I think is good. But again, it's hard to tell um, since we're obviously not in personal touch with him. Okay. Right. Um, and just I'll- to provide a little bit more context on that too, he he bought about $5 million worth of stock at prices ranging from $140 to, to $147 a share. So um, actually prices that are significantly sold? higher than what it is today. Today, DocuSign, is it like 120 it's up a little bit today but about 123 dollars a share do you know so how much he sold he sold 20. i can get that number in a second i can right. i'll pull that up in all a right second. i'll head into valuation yeah while, while you do that um market cap 23.2 billion dollars ticker d-o-c-u this is probably a classic company that people are like oh e-signature company is worth 20 billion dollars like I don't, you know what i mean like there's an e-signature mm. company it's worth that much money it's like I mean, they actually generate a lot of cash, but uh, yeah. besides that, enterprise value is approximately the same as market cap. So no use really of going through that um, and changing it up. I'm going to use billings as their sales, quote unquote, because they defer a lot of revenue. And I think billings is a better, um, which is yeah. just revenue plus change in deferred revenue. I think that's a way better metric of their actual top line. Um, so with that, price to sales is 10, price to gross profit, 12.3, price to operating income of 53 14 million total dilute of securities outstanding versus 198 million current shares outstanding. So going to be some dilution. Their granting pace is pretty decent. They have a gigantic sales staff. So expect, you know, dilution going forward, but that's just part of the deal here. Not egregious, like a lot of other high growth companies we may have followed, but still going to be eh, looking at that, maybe one to 2%, maybe slightly higher dilution going forward, uh, which isn't crazy. Right. You want to hit earnings. It's the dilution has been pretty uh like constant since yeah. I went back and looked at 2019 and it looks like it's been probably just off the top of my head around 10% dilution since so I would say maybe low to mid single digit well i mean Do looking at their those... total dilutive and looking at i don't have the granting pace in front of me but just looking at it now with their total dilutive securities outstanding which includes the convertible notes um versus 198 million yeah. So, I mean, you know, I think that's like what 8%. I know, but it's not going to invest right away. And looking at their granting pace, I mean, it could be higher than 2%, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. Either way, it's just a part of the deal with these types of yeah. companies. Um, and I, I imagine Ian will be talking about some of the convertibles, but uh, I'll get into the earnings. So, total third quarter billings were $565 million, up 28% year over year. Uh, revenue is slightly behind that, as we mentioned. 
546 million. And then gross margin was 79%. And they did generate strong cash flow margins in the quarter, about $105 million in operating cash flow. That's 19% operating cash flow margin, 90 million in free cash flow. And as I mentioned, they do spend a fair amount on property and equipment, um, not an insane amount, but uh, there's a, there'll be a little difference between operating cash flow and free cash flow there. Um, and then they also spend money on acquisition. So keep that in mind. Uh, had a dollar-based net revenue retention rate of 121%. Uh, they have had historically a pretty strong net revenue retention rate number. I do think some of that is from, we saw it kind of peak during COVID because people were probably buying more envelopes. It might not necessarily be them getting into new products as much as just expanding their their usage of the e-signature solution. Um, Could then, be bumpy over the next few years. It's hard to, you know, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, they saw strong growth internationally as well. So 68% revenue growth year over year. Um, and then it now accounts for 23% of the top line. So pretty material. And then total customer count grew 35% year over year. It grew slightly quarter over quarter. It was a little hard to tell because they didn't give a precise number, um, in Q2 that I saw, uh, full year guidance. They're expecting about 2.34 billion in billings. Um, that's a 38% increase from last year. Similar, They're going to expect sort of similar gross margins to what we saw, that 79% figure. I will note though, however, and the reason, if you watch DocuSign after the last earnings report, it dropped like 30, more than 30% in a day. And I think the reason for that was billings quarter over quarter, and this might be a slightly seasonal business, I'm really not sure. Billings dropped 5% quarter over quarter. So even though it looks good year over year, if they're actually sort of in a quarterly decline, and they said their their full year or their fourth quarter estimate was still below that Q2 figure, um, that's probably what investors were kind of focused on. Uh, so you may want to, and like I said, there might be some seasonality in here, but you may want to look at that quarter over quarter number as well. Um, definitely, definitely a growth slowdown. That's that's really the only reason why the stock dropped. International though is interesting. I didn't know this about the signature market. Maybe I should have, but it's a lot more regulated than you might expect. You really have to get into these markets with all these special things and even with the languages and all that stuff. So it's not as easy as say someone like Facebook and just saying, okay, we're going to launch in 180 countries. It's pretty easy. We just have to get up and running. There's a lot more red tape to getting DocuSign launched. So I think they're only in eight countries right now. So international is definitely a huge future growth opportunity. I don't, eight might be the wrong number. I think I remember reading that, but either way, not a big amount of countries. Ian, though, do you want to finish up the first half with balance sheet? Yep. DocuSign has $908 million in cash investments, and I included um, long-term investments in that. I think it was about $90 million in long-term investments. They've got $901 million in debt. 171 million of which is uh, leases. So you can back that out if you don't count leases. Um, and then they have $50 million in convertibles that are due in 2023 with half percent interest. They ended up paying off most of these with proceeds from uh, 2024 convertibles um, that I'll talk about in a second. And they also um, hit the conversion price on those. And so um, I would expect that the rest of that would um, get converted here, but they've got the conversion price on that was about seventy-one fifty a share, and they issued those in uh, twenty eighteen. They also have about six hundred and ninety million in convertibles that are due in twenty twenty four with zero percent interest. The conversion price on these are uh, four hundred and twenty dollars a share, so almost a um, well more than a three x from the prices today. And they issued those in early twenty twenty one. And so, like many of 
the companies that we've talked about that did did zero percent convertibles in 2021. Um, they're able to raise at the peak and um, basically get some free money for a few years. Yeah, um, and we'll see golf what... clap for that CFO. That's impressive <laughs> yeah. work. It is. It is zero percent interest, four twenty uh, strike price and um, or conversion price. And uh, the they stock still traded at 120 calls, today. That's... They did do capped calls. Oh, come yeah. on, <laughs> guys, come on. <laughs> Same so. though. You know what? Golf clap for the CFO, but that's a tiss tiss on whatever bankers. <laughs> they were bullish. It was a new paradigm. Pretty, you didn't know. Was that new... was maybe. Yeah. Hey, at that point, stocks only went up. So that was true. Hopefully they didn't. If it was it, do you know when the date was? Was it February? Really? I think it was yet? February. Wow. Um, nice. I think that's what it was. I could I could pull that up in a second too. But um, to touch on kind of our previous conversation, um, he basically he went from a, about a one point three percent position in the uh, company down to about a 0.8 percent uh, position in DocuSign. So about um, a third of his holdings. Some of that may have been tax related. I just as he was exercising some options may have um, needed some of that to pay off taxes, to pay taxes on those, uh, the exercise of the options. But, um, but anyways, it did, it did decrease uh, substantially, but then also the, the rate or the open market acquisition that I was talking about was in December and it was right after the, the earnings call and he did about 5 million. Then he bought about um, another chunk um, in January, about a month after that first buy. And so he did double down and okay. say, he was true to his word. He was that true was to nice. his word that, Hey, if the, if the stock drops, I might buy some more. And he did. So, uh, that's good to see him actually follow through on that. But, um, yeah, he seems, he seems to be confident in the company. There's, there's no other way to really say that. That's true. He said in the investment conference, almost his entire net worth is tied to the company. So, you know, risky for him maybe, uh, but good for shareholders, I think. All right, let's take the ad break. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are, miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one, so you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? (sighs) All blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back in. Next up, we have anecdotal evidence. Ian, uh, you've used e-signatures before, I'm assuming. Uh, what are your thoughts on DocuSign? Yep, I think like most people, um, probably have a similar experience to me, but it's worked perfectly fine for me. Nothing special, nothing too fancy, but I wouldn't say there's anything that really differentiates it from um, Adobe Sign, which I've also used it. Like I... I just get on and I use whatever the, as from the user experience, it's just, they all seem basically the same to me that it's, now, it's digital signature and I use it and, and it works and it's fine, but nothing special. Yeah. I was using uh, I was checking out Gartner. They both have like the same reviews, really, really close. Uh, Ryan, what about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah. Same, same as Ian on the user side, I'll sign whatever people send me. 
I don't really care what the solution is. I'm not like some, so. some are bad though. Some are bad. Are they? The, 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 the non Adobe's DocuSigns and hello signs. I've had some ones that are, that are bad. Interesting. Um, yeah. Like poor product quality. You know what I mean? Worse than having someone fax it to you. Well, no, not as bad as that. It's, but it's just not like you're, some of them are bad. I, I just have a bad experience. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I don't really care what I'm signing, I guess, as long as it's not terrible. And then, um, on the business side, if we were to pick one, because I think we've, I think we've used them before. Um, well, I think we were a user, but not a payer. Like someone sent it to us. You know what okay. I mean? Like, but we be paid for the well, Adobe bundle. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I was going to say, I think we use, I think we've sent some um, before. No, we have. Yeah. But Adobe, oh, I thought you were re- referencing DocuSign. You're saying Adobe's. Yeah. That's yeah. what I mean. So yeah. Yeah. on that side, it's like, I basically, if I'm picking one, I'm just going to price shop. And then and Adobe's is basically free. Under Adobe, their that's what I mean. If you're going to, we already use Adobe to edit the audio for these podcasts. And so if you're using something that's NP- Adobe wise. And PDS, we use other of their products too. Yeah. Yeah. I guess there's like no reason not to just bundle it. Um, and that could potentially, I guess that could be seen as a low light is that Adobe although it might not be the largest e-signature provider right now, it has a massive installed base through all its other products. So them being able to bundle, I think is a real threat. Um, and they don't price on per envelope. So <laughs> it's hard to tell who has the like market share, but it seems like an easy product. I agree with, you know, the add-on stuff seems like the big thing for us. Um, I don't know if I'd switch over if I was already a DocuSign customer, if I was in a business that used signatures a lot, but for us, who's rarely using signatures, but has to use them sometimes, um, it, it, it's just, it's fine. There's no reason for us to use DocuSign over Adobe when it's included, but I don't think we're, that's just our anecdotal evidence. I think there's a lot of businesses that aren't in the creative um, realm that would like not need any Adobe products or, you know, maybe just PDFs. So there might be a lot that don't. I Yeah. And I also, this is part of, this is a part of the DocuSign business that I don't understand intimately well, which is the API side and integrating this into really big businesses because there is even, they break out this on revenue. They have a professional services side, which is they go into big customers and they integrate this as a part of their day-to-day operations uh, because the companies can't do it themselves. Like, is there a developer, is it more developer friendly than maybe Adobe suite? Uh, that's true. I was, I was looking up their API thing. It looked fine. Ian, have you researched that at all? Like their API tools? I haven't looked into their API tools at all. No, it, it seems like a small part of their business, but that could be like their focus could allow them to be better for custom solutions and stuff like that. All right. Future growth opportunities. Ian, what do you have for us for DocuSign? Yeah. First, I just actually want to touch on that last thing you said, because I typically get pretty excited by companies that have um, APIs and, and things that allow people to create their own, whether it's white labeling or their own solutions, or or it becomes more of the platform that someone else can use to then build their business off of. With DocuSign, I'm not sure, um, you know, maybe we'll get to a point where that that is more important, but I'm not sure that the API piece, I, I don't understand quite the, the value chain there that it seems like you just use the solution. It doesn't matter if it's integrated into your, like you can have partnerships as they do. And I'll talk about those later, but I'm not sure that it matters as much. Um, like if it's in- integrated, into, layer like kinda. if it's integrated into bank of America, it doesn't matter if it says bank of America's or it's just a separate DocuSign thing. 
Right. Like I, I don't think customers really care about that. I'm not sure what value that adds to a platform that it's like your own versus just a partnership with DocuSign. Right. right. But anyways, um, the, the future growth opportunity that I want to talk about is centered in this idea of what they're calling the smart agreement cloud. And so initially they talk about being an e-signature solution. And then over the last couple of years, really as a public company, they've tried to expand from just being an e-signature solution to the agreement cloud. Now they're trying to expand into what they're calling the smart agreement cloud, which is going to use AI, um, other types of tools. And so the piece I want to talk about today is called DocuSign Analyzer, which purports to help help people quickly go through contracts and pick out the key terms. Um, It also will do risk assessment scores and access any um, of a company's pre-approved library of clauses to reinsert into the uh, contract. And so that instead of having to go back and forth or like get lawyers involved or a contract person involved, the the DocuSign analyzer should really limit the amount of um, human interaction that's needed to negotiate these contracts. And I, I use air quotes there because it's not even at that point, it's not even really negotiation. You're just doing a little dance, but um, as part of their expansion plans, um, this is kind of a key piece of that, that it's it's about automation, less human interaction, that you have this agreement that's kind of coming together, but that a lot of it's going to be automated from your end. Um, I'm the only, you know, I'll caveat this, that I'm not sure exactly what the demand or the, the trust in a tool like this would be. That like, if you're really trying to sign a contract, it seems like it's going to be a fairly high hurdle to the amount that that you'll just let it do its thing on its own, that there's going to still be human interaction. And I'm not sure how much time it really saves when you're having to go through and like check to make sure that the, the automation is correctly working. Now, maybe if you do it hundreds of times, then you start trusting the automation a little bit more, but it seems like there's a little bit of a high hurdle for companies to really adopt something like this. I I, I think you're, that's a good way to frame it is the high hurdle because we've used um, when we are signing a document, I don't, I don't know if it didn't really like analyze everything, but there are usually when there's an important legal document, you're going to read through it. Um, and maybe not every layer of a big corporation, but you don't want, I feel like it's usually pretty important to your life and you don't want to just risk missing something because the automation didn't catch it. Well, maybe Chinese companies with thousand page 20 Fs. I don't know. You know, but yeah, I don't that, think that's, that's what unique, it's referring to. That's a, hey, you know, they got to sign those, you know, but no, I, that's a joke. It's all serious. I agree with you. Yes. The, uh, yeah, that, that is an interesting one though. And I, I'd be curious. They didn't, I haven't seen them give any numbers out on it, but I'd be curious to see how much customers are really adopting that solution so far. Um, uh, I guess. That, I mean, looking at that retention rate, that's probably the key number, you know, uh, over time. Yeah. But that retention rate number includes a lot of different stuff too. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. Not specifically to expansion. that one. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. I would think just, that's just a key to looking at if customers are adopting more products in general. Yeah. Um. So my future growth opportunity, I'm going to go with the e-notary. So this one, unlike Analyzer, I think this has pretty low hurdle to get there. Um. The service was basically non-existent until COVID. Um, and it seems like one of those areas that's just bound to go primarily digital. It feels like e-signatures 20 years later, just all over again. Um, and I think there is sort of that red tape barrier that along with the notary stuff, as well as there had been with the signatures. Um, and I think COVID probably eliminated a lot of that. 
And that was probably really good for their notary solution. They, they highlighted this. They really harped on it in their conference call. They talked about how big of an advantage it is for like banks, for example, to be able to have the identity solution, the notary solution, and the e-signature all for their customers. And it reduces a ton of friction for the bank's customers. Um, so I, I think that's just a really big opportunity, especially in like real estate, insurance, financial services. Um, also, last year it said only more than it said more than 20 states had uh, offered it. They, they offered it in more than 20 states. I'm curious to see what that number is going to be um, when the 10K drops this year, because I imagine COVID propelled a lot of comp- or a lot of states to adopt the e-notary. Um, Maybe maybe it's just uh, DocuSign rolling it out slowly, but uh, I think there's a lot of low hanging fruit there, and that for me intuitively feels like the easiest thing to cross sell after e signatures. Yeah, for a lot of companies, and the regulation part is nice uh, for a scaled company like DocuSign, where it's harder for a new entrant to come in there, come in and compete with them. Um, but I'll hit mine. It's pretty simple. It's not a product. It's the expanded partnership with Salesforce. They just talked about this. Now, partnerships aren't everything. And sometimes I think, well, I think a lot of the time they're overhyped, but in this case, it makes a lot of sense for them to kind of cozy up next to Salesforce because people who use Salesforce typically have a lot of things that need to be signed. It looks like DocuSign's strategy from my purview is they want to bundle in with these existing applications because that's their big weakness compared to someone like Adobe or even Dropbox and others. And I'm sure in the future, Microsoft could come out with a signed solution. I'm, I'm curious to, it's curious why Salesforce or Microsoft don't have signature signature solutions. I wonder why that is, because it would, seems yeah. like they could kill DocuSign, but. I was going to ask that is, do you think this puts DocuSign almost in a precarious spot where maybe the terms of those agreements are super nice and for the big companies? Because if DocuSign ever tries to I, I don't know how those agreements work out. I but think DocuSign's too big now. If they were smaller, maybe they're they got a lot of. They if they tried to raise prices or something, oh. you don't think Salesforce would just go out and buy a signature provider on their own? Uh, their customers Dropbox would be. They're well, that's different. Salesforce is more. I think Salesforce's customers would be pretty upset because I bet the solution's not nearly as good as DocuSign's. Okay. Well, who knows? Who knows? I'm not in that industry. Uh, but either way, I think that's their big weak point. Yeah, it just seems like it, it's like an advantage in collecting or in getting new customers. But at the same time, it seems like they're at risk. Mm, yeah. Either way, I think Salesforce would rather just acquire DocuSign. Yeah. I they acquire everything. They, they acquire. <laughs> Anything that helps them, they'll just acquire it. Yeah. Highlights, lowlights. Ian, um, I guess you own the stock, so you may have a lot of highlights, but what do you like and dislike about DocuSign's business? Yeah. So I think the highlights is it's a successful business today with a great product. You know, it has, you know, they, they cite their net promoter score. I think it's at 72. And so people like the product. It works. It's made it, there's it's undeniable that e-signature solutions like that have made the world better. Um, I would say that it's also encouraging that it's starting to break out into more of a multi-product business, um, but it's still really early in that. And I don't know that I wouldn't quite be comfortable saying that DocuSign has um, really captured this agreement cloud. Like I think it's it's trying to get there, but I don't think it's done that yet. Um, it's got strong gross margins, generating free cash flow. 
And I do like the integrations that you were talking about. It's integrated with Microsoft Teams as well now. Um, the Salesforce one you were just describing, I think that's good. I think that there's a potential here for um, an acquisition at some point, especially with the, the hit that the stock has taken, um, that there could be, you know, it, it's in the range of some of these Salesforce acquisitions that have been made. I would say that um, Microsoft would be another company that could potentially try and buy this. Um, you're always dealing with the regulatory hurdles in that in that case, but um, that might go to explain some of the stock buys by the CEO as well, if he thinks that there's somewhat of a floor here on valuation um, related to potential acquisitions. Who knows? That's all speculation, but um, those are a few of the highlights. Um, a couple of lowlights for me is it seems like margins could be better. Um, I know that they're ramping up the sales efforts, but they spend about 62% of um, revenue on SGNA, whereas it's about 35% for Adobe. And like I said, that's understandable, much lower revenue um, base for DocuSign than for Adobe. And DocuSign's really in more of a growth mode than Adobe is. But that being said, it just makes it a little bit harder to win that battle when you're having to spend almost um, twice as much of every dollar of revenue. Um, Adobe um, could Adobe could kind of like they could accelerate their expenses and kind of try to you know they have more room uh, to do that right way. Adobe's Adobe has significantly more scale than DocuSign does and so it just makes it difficult um, to to compete with them on you know advertising and um, and then it it hurts profitability in the short term as well so they're they're playing a little bit of a game of can we get to that level of profitability before. Um, and build enough revenue over the next couple of years before we get kind of pushed to the side. Yeah. All right, Ryan. Highlights. It's a, uh, it's better than an analog signature. And I know that sounds obvious, but I think, especially when you think about international markets, there's probably still a lot of low hanging fruit and just customers that, I mean, if you look at the e-signature market thus far, all the players, they've all grown a lot. and. I think that's just because e-signatures in general are so much better than faxing stuff over or signing it and scanning it. Um, and so I do think there'll be sort of a natural rate of adoption that continues to grow um, or at least provide some continued growth for them. I also think they're on the fence of being a verb, which I imagine is great for um, like SEO and sort of just web-based adoption. Uh, other things, I do think that acquisition candidate thesis, I guess, could be real. Um, and it, it does feel like something that Salesforce would buy. Uh, low lights for me, though, if you read the conference call or listen to the conference call, it feels a bit strange. And Dan Springer obviously knows the business better than I do, but it feels a bit strange for them to be investing heavily into a demand headwind. Like they talked about this big demand slowdown post-COVID, like that, you know, the billings are down 5% quarter over quarter. Investing heavily into that seems wrong to me. It, it seems what, like- What's the investing heavily? Like what, what, did he have any details on that? Expanding sales spend, I'm guessing. It, I mean- Yeah, that's it, what I was reading was the- Yeah. Expansion of the sales teams. And, it wasn't, okay. it was kind of a, people asked him that. People asked like, what exactly does that mean? And it was kind of like, a blurred response. They're like, how much like growth or in sales spend should we expect? And he's like, base, I don't know. It was kind of like, it felt like maybe they were just going to 
invest time into retraining, uh, but it was a little difficult to understand. Um, they also said that they hit, they already hit the long-term margins they want to get to, which so I, I think CEOs do that as a humble brag sometimes. And it's not what investors think. Like in my mind, this is a business that could have had a ton of margin. It can of, be like Adobe. Yeah. But then when maybe it's to Ian's point, which is they have to spend more on marketing uh, or sales than an Adobe and 18% margins as the ceiling or 15% free cash flow margins as the ceiling. That's not what I would have guessed as an investor. So I'm just curious as to like, why can't you, why is that your long-term uh, sort of uh, margin at scale? Yeah, there's a big hiccup. They, I think over 50% of their gross profit is spent on SM right now, which is high. Um, all right, my highlights, durable and growing industry spend, which is just an easy tailwind for them to ride. Great margins that have expanded. It seems like it will be at 80%, probably inch higher. Uh, I think they're decently high switching costs too, which is great, especially for the enterprises. If you're doing these all the time, like you're not switching out unless like, I think it's harder to compete to get someone to, to land someone because Adobe, Dropbox, whoever already have those established bases. But if you're already using DocuSign, I think it's really hard to switch unless they start giving you, a, you know, big time price increases because there's just no reason, even it, unless going to Adobe would save you a ton of money, which I don't think it really would. Um, low lights though, competitive dynamics. I don't really know like who's going to win the market. It's kind of hard to tell for me. I think that's, it's just a bit of a black box. Um, and then looking at their product suite, I don't know why I just kind of get like, eh, like, is this something, is this a company or is it a product kind of feeling? I think they're trying to work from being a software product over the last few years. They've worked really hard from being a software product to becoming a software company, but I still kind of get that feeling um, compared to when looking at someone like Adobe. But overall, I think it's hard to find any low lights besides being confident in whether they're going to be the winner in this industry. It seems like a real layup tail, like industry was such a big tailwind at, at its back. It Okay, this is kind of a concern for me. Is that did you did you look at the conference call at all? No, I just read the investment whatever uh, those you know banking conferences. It it seemed you could tell why it dropped thirty percent after the earnings, and it was very. Um, it felt like they were trying to almost like everyone was asking like wide growth slow essentially. And they were like, don't worry, like we're going to spend a bunch of money and we're going to get growth back up. It felt like this is a business that has to keep growing or they're in trouble. Um, but that's not true. They, not, it doesn't true. look true. Yeah. But it's not like Fubo, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't think it's true either, but I was kind of curious as to why then on a demand headwind, do you start investing again? in sales, like spending more in sales. I mean, that could be a management low light. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I'd ra much rather just be a durable 15% grower with good margins than trying to bloat your employee count and grow at 30%. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Over I mean, the long run, it's not a giant if, difference. Yeah. If the quarter over quarter stuff, like if let's say they st like these investments didn't work and I, I guess I'll just use this as my bear case and then I'll talk about my bull case after, but the, say the big investments they make into this just don't work and demand has kind of like saturated, especially in the U S like the year over year numbers are going to start to look worse. 
come three quarters from now. Um, and they already guided for that fourth quarter. That's going to be worse than the second quarter. So did they kind of peak and are they trying to like keep it going, even though yeah. COVID was a huge boost? That could be true. I just, I just don't think it's true. Not only only have a million customers, there's what a hundred million businesses worldwide, all of them. No, not all of them. I'd say probably most of them are going to need a signature product. I think DocuSign will, you know, keep up their market share, but it's a possibility. Yeah. Uh, billions, billions are, you know, I mean, one they, they have to fight off decreasing spend probably. Maybe. I don't know if maybe. there was ever I'm not sure. To... I'm not sure. All right. Well, maybe. What's your what's your bull case, Ian? My bull case is that the smart agreement cloud idea actually does gain widespread adoption, and DocuShine um, captures a significant share of that market, with um, you know leading to twenty percent uh, growth in revenue over the next three years, twenty five percent free cash flow margins, which may be a little bit high, but I think it's doable, and um, at about a three percent free cash flow yield, um, that would only yield a seven and a half percent three year Kager over the next three years, if they were able to hit those numbers, which um, is a little bit concerning to me, um, but, and and I'll get more into this in the bear case and I'm more or less interested, but, um, but I think the bull case, I think the bull case really hinges on, it, it hinges on them actually breaking out of just the digital signature that they have to get into this agreement cloud or smart agreement cloud type business. Yeah, I agree. Potentially, potentially. That's my, I mean, that's my big thing is that they're able to, um, cross sell some of these solutions, and it isn't just like because maybe companies don't adopt the C, uh, CLM plus bundle or whatever the the insight and analyzer. But if they if you can get them to spend as much on the e notary as the as you do with e signatures, that's a huge cross selling opportunity. Um, a little bit smaller market, but still pretty big market, right? I'd say yeah. Yeah, I mean those three. You think about the use cases for banks, like that's huge. I mean, it, being able to do that digitally is a big. I, I imagine it's a huge market. Um, so, I mean, that that for me, or international expansion. Uh, the fact that they're only in eight countries, I forget which one of you said that. That that was. I kind think of I read eight countries, but they're going to try to get into as many as possible. Yeah, surprising to me because I imagine this is kind of an inevitable market for a lot of countries. Well, it's the regulation. That's why it takes, yeah, it takes it's a just a matter time. of time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of a when, not if, um, if they can do that, uh, and their do- dollar based net retention rate is able to stay above like 110 to 115%. Uh, if it's 115, sorry to interrupt for the next think, five years, I think the revenue growth will be quite high if it's 115%, just given the amount of customers they can go after. Their overall revenue growth, I think, would be quite high. Or maybe that's what you're thinking you need to forecast for the bull case. Yeah. Uh, if you, I imagine they're going to grow customer count probably at around 10% annually for the next five years. Um, you do that, couple that with 15% increased spend on your existing users. That's 25. probably a recipe for a good, adequate returns. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. I'm in the same range. I think you got to expect 20% revenue growth or higher. Um, you got to be able to forecast that though. And I think margins are interesting. It's disappointing. They said that their long-term margins are where they should be at because that makes no sense to me. 
because uh, it seems like this can be an Adobe type business, 40% plus margins out there, but there obviously is a lot of variance if they don't have that confidence in them, because really, does that mean they're going to have the sustained sales and marketing spend? I would hope not. Um, that is a concern if it would be though, because that just means the business isn't as good as people are assuming. All right, bear case, Ian, what could go wrong here? I think the bear case is that the industry doesn't grow as quickly as expected, especially the agreement cloud part of this, and that DocuSign competitors, namely Adobe, um, begin to box it out of the growth in the space, that all of the growth in the space goes to some of these more established competitors who can um, more easily spend on uh, sales and marketing and who also have um, some of the uh, kind of those, those platform and kind of network effects where um, you've got people who are already hooked in like you guys who are already hooked into Adobe and it just makes sense to use Adobe sign. So, um, I think if, if those types of things happen, that, that, uh, it'll cause quickly decelerating revenue growth before their margins can get, um, can get up to those 40% that you were saying should be attainable in a business like this. Yeah. Ryan. Um, I, I guess I have a few reasons a few ways that this investment could get hurt, which was, I'd say number one is that there isn't a lot of adoption across the product suite, because I think that potentially limits their ability to raise prices with customers. If they're only relying on the e-signature, then you have to say how high are the switching costs. But if they have notary identity and signature, they're probably going to stick with it. Um, second one for me is the big sales investments they're making don't bear as much fruit because there's maybe more demand saturation domestically than investors are thinking. There is the international part, but I would argue that Adobe is probably better suited to win or better positioned to win internationally because they have so many different products. And I imagine, and I, I might be wrong on this, I imagine their existing customer base is pretty high internationally. Um, it depends what priority it is for them though, you know? It, yeah. it could if they wanted to make it their number one priority. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Adobe, what I mean, for us, I get, I think we're a good example that we we used it hard. We hardly used Adobe. And I was like, well, uh, the signature is basically free. You can just bundle it. Yeah. Um, I imagine that might be the use case for a lot of international companies. And then the last one I had was just maybe their channel partners took it in house, but I imagine if they would have been interested in doing that, they would have done it already. Yeah. That seems like one of those things that you could think of, but then when you like think through it, you're like, eh, why haven't they done already? Yeah. I don't know, but it's still a threat. I think from Microsoft, I think, especially, I don't see why it's not a part of office. Um, yeah. but who knows, maybe it's harder than we think. Maybe they just don't yeah, want to do it. Maybe that's, that's what I would guess because if anyone could do it, Microsoft could have done it. If they ever would have done it, they would have done it during COVID. And yeah, why right. didn't they already? There's got to be a reason. Yeah. All right. Fine. Um, I mean, I think it's hard to envision a scenario where DocuSign doesn't grow their top line over the next five years. But I think the key reason you lose money is if growth is a lot slower than 20% a year from revenue and margins don't materialize like we think um, or like we think they should. That's the big concern. And I don't think you'll, you know, given the valuation, uh, I don't think returns would be would be strong. But who knows? All right. More or less interested, Ian. Uh, we keep covering stocks you own, so I think we know the answer. Uh, but what are the final thoughts here? So I will say on this one, actually, I'm going to say I'm a little bit less interested. So I, I looked over the show and it's about a half percent position of mine right now. Um, I tend to be, so it hasn't been at the top of mind, and I tend to be fairly slow 
um, to sell things. And I'm not necessarily saying that I will sell this, but this is one I'm going to keep my eye on because I think, and this kind of came up in Ryan's bear case, but I think DocuSign has a little bit of a problem here where it's a, it's main product that it's trying to build a business around is digital signatures. Whereas um, Adobe has a business built around it, built around all these other products and Adobe sign is just a piece of that. And so um, something that's just a piece of the pie for someone else is trying to, it, for DocuSign is trying to become the launching pad for all this other stuff. And I just, I've been a little bit, unimpressed with um, like the growth numbers have been pretty good, but it, you know, it's hard to say that they've been bad or anything like that, but um, I would have wished I started my position in 2019 and I would have wished that they were a little bit further along um, today in terms of this agreement cloud type of idea than they are. So it's one I'm going to keep my eye on. It also feels like one that as soon as I sell it, they'll, um, (laughs) they'll get, they'll announce an acquisition for, you know, a 20 or 30% premium, but, um, but anyways, I, I am just a little bit less interested. I think it's, it's one that I, yeah, that just happened with us. Yeah. <laughs> with another company, but yeah, the, yeah, it's hard to possible to predict, but yeah, this is one where I think you guys kind of go, eh, I don't know. And then it grows 20% forever. And you're like, oh, well, it's kind of like Paycom, like uh, we were talking about, but Ryan, what are you more or less interested? Did Ian, did we cut you off there or? No, that's that. I was just right. rambling as a as a as a uh, stockholder. <laughs> All right, good. I'm, I'm. A, I could I could see, I could see the bull case playing out. Like I could see how they compound the top line and ten million customers. I don't know, doable, doable. Yeah, I would think so. Um, but I really, I really don't understand the competitive positioning, and I'm not afraid to let this pitch kind of just go by. Like you don't, I don't have to swing at it. And it's not something I totally understand. Maybe if it were trading at a huge like discount to what I thought they could generate in cash over the next few years, I'd be more inclined to dig a little more, but I'm going to say less interested for this. Yeah. One. And if that happens, that means that your concerns <laughs> about the billings growth have materialized over the next five or six quarters or continue over the next five or six quarters. You might get to that point um, if it starts slowing down like that. Uh, yeah. I'm in the same boat, less interested, just competitive stuff. Uh, if you have like any sort of insights on why you think DocuSign would win or maintain market share, I mean, this is a layup, yeah. but I just don't have that insight. I'd also say there's a lot of people I like as investors that like DocuSign, um, yeah, seems- which makes me wonder what I'm missing. But yeah, there could be. I think the value is there. Uh, maybe Adobe is the smaller hangup than we think, but I mean, they could, they could grow at 20%, I think for a long, long time. Um, but you gotta have, I don't know, it's hard with the valuation. You gotta have confidence that they can do that. All right. Stock for next week. This was my choice. So next week or two weeks from now, it'll be Ryan. Penn. Is it Penn National Gaming? Penn National Gaming, AKA the Barstool meme stock, right? Yeah. Uh, this is one that I've heard a lot about obviously because Portnoy is involved now. So um, <laughs> that's, that's good. Really... We can growth hack and you will have to automatically go super bearish growth hack it. So he uh, retweets <laughs> it with some mean thing, right? Yeah. No, we don't. Know. <laughs> um, but yeah, going with that pen. 
All right. That should be fun. Remember, guys, give us a uh, review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And also remember, we have the disclosure here. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.